This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. On 2NURFM 103.7. Well, we're talking travel. Sally Lucas joining me, Jane Klein. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. We're catching trains today, Sally Lucas. We are, Jane, and we have mentioned a few great train journeys of the world before. And today I thought I'd uh, focus in particularly on the Trans-Siberian Railway, which is a, a train journey that has been operating for many, many, many years. Probably, I'd say, one of the longest in distance and longest in operation of, of a great train journey. It's hard to think of one that would be longer than that in distance. Well, I certainly. can't actually think of one off the top of my head. I don't think there would be. I mean, unless there's one through Africa. But um, I think this would have to be, if not the, you know, one of the longest, the longest. But you can do it in different ways now too. So it's actually you know, has added little dimensions to it from the basic train journey it started as, whereas you start in Japan and you can actually go by train from Tokyo via Kyoto to Kanazawa and there you catch um, a ferry across to Vladivostok. And from there, the general route that it used to take, which is still the main route, you go from um, Vladivostok to Khabarovsk and then you go across past sorry, Lake Baikal to Irkutsk and then you eventually travel across through um, Novosibirsk and Omsk um, and all the way through to Moscow and on to St. Petersburg. They're such lovely names. Oh, aren't they? Omsk. If I can get my tongue around them. <laughs> They're a little bit hard. But just a little bit of a pocket history on uh, Russia. I mean, Imperial Russia was the largest land empire the world had known. And then, of course, it became the Soviet Union. And even after the breakup of that union, Russia it's still, itself sorry, remains by the far the largest country on earth. So we're talking about a vast landmass there. And in the um, later part of the 19th century, the Japanese, Europeans and the US procured uh, Chinese enclaves as part of the scramble for trade in these areas, with, which uh, throughout the Qing dynasty and also with Russia's concern for her eastern territory. So this massive heartland of Siberia had to be secured for Mother Russia. And um, Vladivostok, which is Russia's only year-round ice-free port, uh, had to be kept supplied and trade links to the Orient enhanced and so on. So it, that was when they decided that they needed that transcontinental railway. So it is a fascinating journey. And you, as I said now, there are so many other journeys you can do, starting even now in, in Saigon. You can go up through Hanoi. You can cut across through Guilin in the bottom part of China to Guangzhou and down to Hong Kong. Or you can think, well, alternatively, you go up through Xi'an where the famous terracotta Cotta Warriors are, through to Beijing, up then into Mongolia to Ulaanbaatar, and then you can join in at Irkutsk and do the rest of the journey from there. And there's also a, another route you can take now through Mongolia and links up to Novosibirsk. So there's so many different ways that you can do the Trans-Siberian, and it is an immensely popular journey. I mean, we now have a brochure that's just basically every train journey in there involves some sections of that Trans-Siberian Railway, and you can connect, as I said, to various other networks. Um, and there's other journeys, just to mention too, you can go into Kyrgyzstan as well, um, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and even then you can go down into the Middle East and link down into Iran, down into the United Arab Emirates, across through Turkey into Istanbul. So amazing options of what you can do, and then you can even fly down from Tashkent into Amritsar in uh, India and then go down and do a complete circumnavigation of India. So you can keep adding 
and to these journeys. So I just thought I'd mention those as well. There's quite a remarkable range of train journeys in the world that we can do now, um, which not including just Trans-Siberian, as I mentioned, within Africa, South Africa in particular, you've got the Blue Train, which has been famous for years, um, the Shongololo Express. Of course, in our own country, we've got the GAN, the Indian Pacific, uh, Southern Spirit, and we've even got the, um, I forget the name of it now, Jane, the one that does the Queensland Coast. Oh, um, well, it's a good one too. But there's Sunland, also this, yes. Yes, there's Sunland, Sunland like and that. there's another one too. The Savannah Lander, which goes yes. up near the Gulf. Yes, so there's quite a lot. And then in England, you've got the Royal Scotsman. You've got the Venice Simplon, of course, Orient Express. Um, we've mentioned, of course, that you can go into also um, an Andean Explorer in, in South America. And then, in of course, we know about Canada and the wonderful rail journeys you can do in Canada. So the world is your oyster as far as rail journeys are concerned now as well. So it's opening up all sorts of areas to us where people might like that more leisurely pace of a rail journey where you're just poking your head and looking out the window of all these wonderful sights and sounds and don't need to drive no you don't need to drive and it's not as probably a coach is fine but then you're sort of with a train you just can really sit back and relax you're not hopping on and off as much and you're just enjoying the journey so some wonderful train journeys out there to be had and to NURFM 103.7 we're talking travel we've been on the trains and we're going to take to the paths now, Sally Lucas. We've got to expend some energy, Jane. Let's do it. After the trains, maybe a bit of sitting, you need a bit of walking. Let's do it. But I'm starting actually in our own part of the world, Australia, and in particular Tassie, which has some wonderful walks down there. And there's a new tourism initiative um, happened down there recently, um, and they've started this in time for the lovely walking season that we're into now, which is spring and also autumn, which is your two really great times for walks. And five of Tasmania is uh, fairly best, I'd say, tourism operators have come together to create a new tourism initiative called the Great Walks of Tasmania. So to help potential travellers and adventure seekers choosing the best guided walks that can be found on the island. And you can go into the Great Walks of Tasmania website, if you like, which is just greatwalkstasmania.com. Now, these include, for example, the Mariah Island Walk, which is an award-winning four-day walk in Mariah Island National Park. It won the Qantas Australian Tourism Award 2008, Australian Gourmet Traveller Awards in 2007, 9 and 10, and the Australian and Travel and Tourism Awards in 2009. So, Explain it's, um, to me how the gourmet travel comes <coughs> in on a walk where you're well, walking through the bush. I don't know. They're probably providing you with some nice food, Jane. That's a good explanation. Tassie is renowned for its food and wine now, so I think that's a good enough reason. Um, you stay in comfortable wilderness camps and also in a restored house, which is apparently recently listed World Heritage Convict Settlement of Darlington, and it's called Bernacci House. Um, you do walks through, obviously, lovely eucalypt and blue gum forests, secluded beaches, bays, woodlands. You know, you can swim in the sea. You can do hikes up Mount Mariah or Mount Bishop or Mount Clark. And you have fresh, we're getting to this, Tasmanian food and wine. Yum. Yum. You've also got the Bay of Fires Walk, and that was named by Lonely Planet as one of the world's top ten spots to visit in 2009. And that's, of course, on the east coast of Tasmania. And should I say Mariah Island is an island off the east coast to the south. Um so you there when you do the Bay of Fires, you have accommodation at um, Forrester Beach Camp and the award-winning Bay of Fires Lodge. And you do walks again along beautiful beaches, coves and fragrant heath, peppermint forests. Um, you do kayaking expeditions down the river, um, swimming again and, of course, that wonderful food. Um, and then you've got Freysenay 
It's also won awards. Um, wonderful place to visit that Fraser Peninsula on the east coast as well. Cradle Mountains will go away from the coast for a little bit now, Jane. You can do three, four and six day walks through that wonderfully acclaimed overland track in the World Heritage Cradle Mountain Lake St. Clair National Park. Uh, accommodation is in private Cradle Mountain huts if you wish to do that and do the whole walk. So you're going through some very ancient temperate rainforests there um, and also lovely um, alpine plateaus, etc. Um, you've got a south coast track. It's the most challenging of the walks. It's nine days. Uh, accommodation in tents with an inflatable sleeping mat provided and you've got the Tarkeen rainforest as well so some wonderful walks pardon me again Tasmania. <laughs> fantastic walks while Sally um, Sally gathers her <laughs> thoughts and her vocal cords and uh, uh, more walks or is that Tassie for us Sally well we'll leave Tassie there I think Jane yes. uh, can I just mention there's some wonderful walking tours in the French Pyrenees you can do as well now, this is run by a French-born gentleman, but he is married to an Australian. So he lives in Barrow in Australia, but he runs these tours, and they've got their own little place over there called Pistoulet, which is a 19th century country cottage. It's situated in the village of Lagour in the Béarn region. And it's located within an hour of the mountains, the sea, and Spain. So you can be based there and do any of the walks that they provide. The tours are limited to 20 and a maximum of 10 participants. And it's just called Walking Tours in the French Pyrenees. And it's Patrick and Robbie Ariula are their names. And the Pyrenees Tours is the name of the company. And they do walking and slow food tours. Just some wonderful things to do in that Basque area, which doesn't get promoted quite as much as other areas of France. But there's some wonderful itineraries there if you're interested in doing any of the walking in that Basque region of France. And the um, all the testimonials I've read from people that write in and write back to him and even in the Sydney Morning Herald and the travel section have given it high accolades and just the wonderful cottage apparently is fantastic as well. And there's challenging walks, of course, for people who want challenge for the more experienced walker. Um, the distance of walks will vary from 5 to 16 kilometres and with ascents from 100 to 700 metres. They say uphill and downhill training is most important important. Um, some fitness will also be required for the easy walking tour, but they're not nearly as strenuous with our sense only up to about 150 metres. So there's all levels, all standards. And again, we're talking about a place, of course, that's wonderful for its food and wine as well. Yes, indeed. So walking, well, a nice way to follow up on trains. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thanks, Jane. And we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the one o'clock news on 2NURFM 103.7.